All right. Good morning. Just let you know, I was not my jovial, uh, fellowshipping, self-hugging and stuff, because I had a bad head cold. So I wanted to stay away from you and not give it to you. I hope you appreciate that, because I appreciate whoever gave this to me last (laughs) week. Um, Anyway, uh, if you're a guest today, please fill out the registration, rip that off, drop it in the offering plate when it comes around. I would uh, point your attention to the bottom of the inside page. Um, On April the 13th, we're going to have an all-church backyard barbecue. We don't get to do much for the whole church, but we're going to do that. Um, uh, Sonny's is going to cater that. Got a lot of activities that will be going on. So read about that one. Um, Also, next week is our food drive that we get all the non-perishables that we can we give them to the local, um, what's the place? Daystar. Daystar. And they distribute it for us. So that would be next week if you would be willing to bring that. And then, of course, getting ready for Easter. Think of somebody you can invite. Um, it's going to be a, a different message, but it's going to be a great one, I think. So anyway, we're glad you're here. Let's stand. Welcome somebody around you to church. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of a gospel song.
my face And this hurt will just be hurt With no healing on the way Thank you, Jesus Heaven changes everything A goodbye would be goodbye With no I'll see you again And when a life is over That would simply be the end Thank you, Jesus Heaven changes Welcome. 
there's nothing in this life that's going to clean us, make us righteous, except the blood of Jesus Christ. Until we accept that, it's a no-go. Love this one, too. And I hear the Savior say,
There is one to be praised, Jesus. We praise you this morning. Father, we come to you and just thank you for conquering something that we cannot do. Father, we pray that you would um, inhabit the praises of your people this morning. And God, as we take up our tithes and our offerings, pray you would use it for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray these things in your precious son's name. Amen. can't see you. Need a little light out on the audience. Yeah. Might be better to leave it darkened after the message we're going <clears> to <throat> give today. Um, I'm hoping that this lasts and I'm hoping this doesn't affect you and bother you too much. <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't have this this morning. I was, you know, it just felt rough, but I didn't have a, a voice issue. So the second service may not get nothing. And I've been drinking that green color Jack Daniels, you know, that, I think they call it NyQuil or something like that. First um, Corinthians, we've started a Bible study and this is one of the times I would like to not do it. This is hard. This is where you come to something in the Bible and I want to be like a lot of other Christians, pick and choose what I want to say and not say. Actually, just skip over 1 Corinthians 5 and go right on to something else. But I can't do that. It's not honest. It's not right. Um, it's not being obedient to the Lord. So we're going to be talking today and next week. And the title of the sermon is, He's Doing What? How many of you read 1 Corinthians 5? All right, you know then. So please open your Bibles if you have them 
I'm probably going to have to slow down a little bit today, and you probably say, good, you go too fast anyway. 1 Corinthians 5, 1, Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Welcome to church this morning. Man, listen, I almost want to apologize. If you're fairly new, a guest maybe, um, you probably couldn't have come on a weirder day. Uh, but um, hang in there with us all if you would. I should probably also acknowledge that this subject matter, as you can see from that first verse, has what you might consider adult themes. Now, I am not going to be explicit the adult nature um, of this will mostly be what we just read in the background because are you listening to this? The focus of this passage is not on what this man is doing. It's on how the church responds to what he's doing. Do you have that? That's, you got to remember that. If I had a 10 or 11-year-old, I'd leave him in here. Um, but if, if you think, well, this could cause issues with my kids, subjects that I don't want to talk about yet with them, feel free to take them to our children's ministry right through here. They'll see the look on your face and know why you're coming. All right. Now, if you remember from the first week, we saw that there were five major sections in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first four chapters that we covered had to do with the problem of divisions, remember, in the church. Now, in chapter 5, Paul is going to start to address some confusion that the church has regarding sexual issues. I hope this doesn't bother you too much. Are you okay with it? All right. Because if not, I can go down and get somebody else to come up here for a while. Corinth, you may recall, was a notoriously immoral city situated on what they call an isthmus between two major ports, one on either side, which made this city an economic powerhouse and a very popular vacation destination young, upwardly mobile people from all over the empire poured into Corinth. And these young, upwardly mobile people brought young, upwardly mobile issues. So sexual immorality was a problem. Plus, I told you, the city of Corinth had dozens and dozens of temples each dedicated to a Roman god or a Greek god. And part of the worship ritual was prostitution in their worship. One temple in particular to a goddess named Aphrodite had 1,000 prostitutes. It was part of their worship. 
try to get that around that in your mind. But the point is this. Sexual immorality was all around them. So it's not surprising on one level that they were dealing with it in the church, right? All right, now but watch this. The sexual immorality that they're dealing with, Paul said, this goes beyond even pagan immorality. Again, verse 1, the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. What does that mean? His father's wife. Well, let's be honest. It can only be one of two things. Um, either it's his mom or his stepmom. I don't know and I don't honestly want to know. But m most biblical scholars believe that this was a stepmom because if you'll notice the wording, Paul calls her his father's wife. Doesn't say his mom, right? That makes me feel a tiny bit better. But here's the problem. Listen, if you call somebody mom, you ought not be asking her out to the prom. Okay? And this is written in the present continual sense. What does that mean? It's an ongoing thing. It was a habit that this guy was involved in. Now, folks, a lot of people said, oh, I'd love to go back to the early church. Boy, how great it must have been. Boy, they, they had some serious problems. And we've had problems at Gulf to Lake over the 30 years. But to my knowledge, we've never had this one. And Paul says, this kind of immorality is not even tolerated among the pagans. Now, folks, you know it's got to be bad when your unsaved neighbors around you maybe as a church are saying, man, what that guy's doing in that church, that just ain't right. That's nasty. Then you know you got a problem. But rather than mourning over this, verse 2 Paul says, watch this, and you are, what? Arrogant about it. You're arrogant. Now, why weren't they dealing with it? Well, there, there's a lot of reasons. Hey, Paul, wait a minute, man. This, this is Corinth to each his own. You know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. So who are we to judge? That would have been another one. Other ones may have been like, well, hey, Paul, you, you, you told us that the Lord Jesus freed us from all the law. So that means that he's freed us to love in whatever way seems best to us. Does that sound common to American society? We're doing that today. Just whatever seems right, whatever feels right. So Paul is going to address both of these groups in his explanation. But it seems to me that the way that I read this, that Paul is assuming that most of the people in the church knew this was wrong. And Paul knew that they knew that this was wrong. Why were they not dealing with it? Well, probably because it would have caused a scandal. You ever think that happens in a church? That you try to hide things that maybe 
would be overtly, outwardly wrong, but you try to hide it because you don't want to cause a scandal. You don't want to give the church a black eye. So he says they're arrogant. You need to deal with this. Now, folks, are you listening? Maybe not exactly this situation, but situations like this can get messy if you've got to deal with them in a church, don't they? I mean, I'm going to tell you, folks, I've had 43 years of experience in this, never something like this, but other things that have happened. And whenever you usually confront people that are going, that are involved in this, they don't like it. They get mad at you. I could, I could count five, six times in all those years where I've had to go to somebody that was involved in things like this. And do you know that the majority of them get mad at you for bringing it up and they leave? I've had two people, two, that have said, you know, Pastor, man, you're right. We shouldn't be doing this. And got it right, repented and came back to the Lord. Thank God for that, amen? But still, this has to be dealt with. And there are times in a church where it must be dealt with. Now, most likely, this guy would do what everybody else seems to do. They get offended and either leave or try to make a scene. He might have been a prominent figure in the church. He may have given money to the church, a lot of money. And so, folks, it would be very easy for this church, and this is what they were doing. Hey, Paul, let's leave this alone. This could get messy. Don't, don't poke a hornet's nest. Just leave well enough alone. Anybody ever felt like that about some situation in your life? Just leave it alone. Leave well enough alone. You know that what somebody is doing is wrong but you know that they'll probably react in a, in a way that you don't want to deal with, so just let it go. But Paul says, look, here is a brother of yours. Are you listening to this? Here is a brother of yours that is being destroyed by sin. And you're not even concerned about it. You're concerned about your church reputation or not rocking the boat. Verse 2 Ought you not rather to what? Mourn. You know what the word there, mourn, means? Mourning, like at a funeral, crying over what's happening. So write it down. Paul says to mourn. Steve, you got a sermon ready for the next? All right. So Paul says, verse 3, now here we're getting into it, folks. Let him who has done this be removed from you. Now, people in the church now are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Pastor. Kick somebody out? Like out of church? Yes. Now, I want you to fill in some blanks here. Lloyd, what about unconditional love and acceptance? What about 
unconditional love and acceptance. I want you to write that down, but I want you to listen. It's true. We are called to unconditional love, but our fellowship, our fellowship, I think that's a fill in the blank, is, is conditional. Does God love you unconditionally? Yes. You're a believer. God loves you unconditionally. Can you then live any way you want to live? No. Because when you don't live the way you should live, then you're out of fellowship with the Lord. Your condition is the same. If you're his, you're his. But the fellowship that you're supposed to have with him is now damaged. I don't want to go into a long theological explanation, but there's two kinds of forgiveness. There is unconditional forgiveness that the Lord gives you when you trust his son. But then there is fellowship forgiveness that where you come to the Lord. See, I've had people say to me, well, pastor, why even, why even uh, ask for forgiveness? Because you said that one time I heard you say that when you become a believer, that all your sin, past, present, and future, is all forgiven. So why even why should I even ask for forgiveness again? It's all over, done. No, unconditional forgiveness is done, but fellowship forgiveness is not done. That's why you should be asking forgiveness all the time. Does that make sense? All right. Well, Pastor, I thought we're supposed to be open and embracing. You know, we accept everybody and everybody's welcome. Well, they are, but write this down. Our primary calling is to be representatives of Jesus Christ. That's our primary calling. Now, this next few words are vitally important to follow this. Yes, Jesus welcomed all kinds of people into his family. People with all kinds of problems. People with all kinds of tragic backgrounds. Paul himself was what? A murderer. A lady that followed around the Lord everywhere he went was named Mary Magdalene. She had been a prostitute. But folks, everybody that came to him that he welcomed, are you listening? Ready to write it. Had one thing in common. They came to a point of repentance. They came to a point of repentance. A place where they recognized that Jesus is Lord and his way is right. Folks, Jesus can take you with all kinds of problems, and he will, but you've got to be willing to go with him and do it his way. I know that raises some questions, so if you'll hang on a little bit today and, and next Sunday, I promise I'll get to them, but let's keep reading. Verse 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Can you imagine a more strongly worded sentence than that? That's strong stuff, folks. You know now why we don't preach on this all the time. This is strong stuff. Not only, Paul says, do you remove them from the membership, you deliver them to the devil. Well, Pastor Lord, what in the world does that mean? Are, are you ready? Okay, listen. Whew. I feel like I'm in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> Got to swim out. The church provides an umbrella of protection from the judgment of sin. The church provides an umbrella of protection from the curse and the judgment of sin. It shields you. You may not know this, but being a part of a church like this, it, it, it shields you from a lot of the effects of the sin of this world. Some of it is natural. Some of it is supernatural. The Lord is taking care of you because you're part of a, a body of believers and you're living the best you know how for him. He will take care of you. But Paul says, when you got someone like this that is living like this, remove that umbrella of protection and let them experience the pain of their sin. You reap what you sow. Let the consequences of the way he's living come home to him. Now, are you with me still? Paul is going to use the imagery of the Passover. If you'll notice that in those verses. Y'all remember the Passover? Let me tell you a great story about that. God had told Egypt that because of their persistent rebellion, the whole country, that there was going to be a night that he was going to send his death angel among them. And the firstborn son of every house, whether that was an 80-year-old guy or an 8-year-old guy, the firstborn was going to die. Well, there's several million Jewish people living in Egypt. And the Lord told them, and they, by the way, they were sinners also. Amen? They were sinners and the Lord said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slit his throat. And I want you to take that blood and get a hyssop branch, which is kind of like a paintbrush, natural paintbrush, and dip it in that lamb's blood and go outside of your house at the door and put that blood all over the, the, the outside. And when I send that death, death angel, and he sees that blood, he'll pass over your house. That's how we got the word Passover. And he won't enter it. I want you to think about that image. Inside the house, under the blood, with Jesus, you're safe. Outside the house, you're exposed to death. And Paul is saying in the same way, 
put this man outside the house so that he can be exposed to the death angel and the curses of sin. And maybe by God's grace, when he starts to experience the problems of not being under the protection of the body of the church, and maybe he will wake up to the seriousness of the sin and come back to the Lord. This is what he's saying to do with someone in the church. Are you listening? Who names, this is so important, who names the name of Christ, but they persist in stubborn, willful, rebellious sin. Okay? That's so important. It's it, it's ongoing. It's not something they do once here and then it's over and done and they come back. No. Stubborn, willful, rebellious sin. Now, what I'm going to share with you now and what, what I just shared with you that Paul said to do only happens after every other attempt at reconciliation has been tried and they reject it. Are you with me on that? Please keep your finger there. 1 Corinthians 5, if you've got your Bible, turn back to Matthew 18. Turn back to Matthew 18. The Lord Jesus himself is going to show us what we need to do. Step one. Well, let's, let's read that first. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you gained your brother. Right? So what is step one? Private correction. Private correction. This was very simple, y'all. He says, A, go to him. B, talk to him. Are you listening, church? Don't text him. Don't email them. Don't call them. Don't tweet them. Go to them. And then he says, tell him the fault between you and him alone. And guess what that word alone in the Greek means? Alone. Don't take people with you. This is just between you two. What's the next step? Go to verse 16. But if he will not listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What is this? Small group, clarification. Small group, clarification. Meaning, if you go to them alone, as you should, and they won't listen to you, then you take two or three people that may be in that immediate group that knows about what's going on, and you talk to them. That helps to ensure that you are doing the right thing and coming up with the right things to say and that they understand that, hey, this is more than one person involved here. You're coming together to agree on it. Verse 17, but if he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. What is that? Step three, church admonition. That doesn't mean all of you. 
That means the elders, the leaders, the elders of the church, they get involved. See, if they won't listen to that individual or that small group, then the elders go in a more official capacity to warn them about the seriousness of what they're doing. Verse 17, B, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. <laughs> Boy, they didn't like tax collectors in those days, did they? So what is step four? Church exclusion. Church exclusion. This is where you remove them from church membership. Are you listening? And you put them outside the house and let them be exposed to the activity of the devil. And let the world beat them around a little bit. Please don't get ready to go. You've got to hear the rest of this. They are still welcome to come to church. They are welcome to come and sit in church. Hey, lots of unbelievers do that every week. Amen? So they're welcome to come. But they don't come, and they would know, in the position of a family member. That's why we say, when we take the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we'll get there weeks to come, chapter 11, let a man examine himself. What does that mean? Well, if there's something that you're doing persistently, blatantly, and the Lord's told you about it, but you don't want to stop it, then it says, don't take the Lord's Supper. Why? Because it says you'll be eating and drinking judgment or damnation to yourself, to your body. All right. Matthew 18, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Paul describes what this looks like. Verse 10, anyone who bears the name of brother, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I believe as most conservative scholars believe that Paul is referring here to taking communion and, and sharing communion. Why? Because folks, listen, you don't want to imply that God is okay with that kind of behavior. Amen? I mean, if, if, if the church knows about it, there's a group that knows about it, you don't want to act like, it's, it's fine, it's okay, live however you want to live. Now, Paul says there are four reasons that you should do this. But before I give those to you next Sunday, you got to come back. See how it all ends. There's more, much more. Let me just take a quick time out before I close because there are a couple of things I want to be absolutely clear on. First, again, when we're talking about public action by anybody or anyone in a church, 
we're talking about someone who, again, defiantly persists in something that is blatantly unbiblical. We're not talking about, well, so-and-so, you know, um, you're sure pecking on the pounds, buddy. And, you know, gluttony is a sin. We're not talking about that. Can we agree that, yes, there are, that sin against God is sin, but that there are degrees of sin? There are things that are more blatantly immoral than others that there absolutely is. We should always be speaking into other people's lives. So that's first. Second, in a church that's fairly large, as I believe we would be considered, this kind of public exclusion happens on a local level. There's probably only going to be four or five people that know anything about it. I'm not going to get up here on a Sunday morning and announce to hundreds of people what's going on. Amen? You don't want to hear it, and I don't want to give it. So it would be, it would be handled like that. I can't tell you the joy that I felt when two, and it was two men who came to me and said, Pastor, you know what you talked to me about the other day in the office? You're absolutely right. And the Lord has touched my heart. And as of right now, this stops. Right now. And he used my phone to make a phone call to let the other person know it's over, it's done right now. What, what, and I wish I could tell you what a difference is that is made in their life. We're talking now probably 15 years past and they're still serving the Lord. It can happen. It can happen. Let's, let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. I think the enemy didn't want me to preach today. Didn't want me to say the things that I needed to say. But Lord, I trust you. And I believe there's a reason. Help me. Help all of us to live for you. And Lord, when you convict us of something in our life, maybe there's things we're doing that others don't know anything about, but it's blatantly wrong, immoral. Might be pornography. Might be lust. I don't know but that you would convict us of our need to repent. And then, yes, we can experience the unconditional love and fellowship with you. So right now, just if you need to pray, pray. Someone in your family that you know needs to be prayed for, for some lifestyle that's defiantly persistent. Pray for them now.
okay. Amen. Let's stand. Thank y'all. God bless you. Hope nobody gets my cold. Have a great afternoon.